Welcome to the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast, your source for expert insights on industry consensus standards and ASSP technical publications. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Millions of American workers enter confined spaces every year to perform a variety of tasks. It is the safety professional's job to ensure that workers know how to properly enter those spaces and operate safely within them. We're happy to welcome back to the show Terry Ketchum to discuss confined space safety and how the ANSI ASSP Z117 standard can help safety professionals keep workers safe while entering and working in confined spaces. Terry is Manager of Health, Safety, and Environment at Covestro LLC. He is also the Vice Chair of the Z117 Committee, which developed the Z117 standard for safety requirements for entering confined spaces. Uh, Terry, glad to have you back. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Scott. It's good to be back. I appreciate the opportunity to work with the American Society of Safety Professionals to share with others the value of the consensus standards and how they can help the profession and its dedicated safety professionals. Okay, great. Glad to have you on. Uh, Now, we're talking about confined spaces. I know that encompasses many different working environments, so I thought we could start off by discussing the different types of confined spaces that safety professionals and workers may come across and the different types of hazards and risks they may encounter. Sure. Let's step back for a second and just generally talk about the term confined space because sometimes there's a difficulty in understanding what that means. So a confined space is defined as a space that is large enough and configured such that an employee can basically can enter into the work area, has limited or restricted means for entry such as like tanks, vessels, silos, storage bins, vaults, and pits and spaces that have limited means of entry and exit. Okay. And lastly, it's not designed for continuous employee occupancy. So it's not it's not like your office. Right. <laughs> you know, going into your room wouldn't constitute a confined space. So it's got to meet all three of these criteria to be defined as a confined space. Gotcha. Okay. So now with with that groundwork, let's dive into the content of the Z117 standard and what it has to say about confined space safety. One of the first sections of the standard is identification and evaluation. Now, this section involves conducting a confined space survey, identifying and evaluating hazards, and confined space classification. So when conducting this survey, what should safety professionals be looking for and how can they identify all the hazards present in a confined space? Well, Scott, like you mentioned, first of all, a qualified person needs to conduct that initial survey of the operations in the premises. Mm. The key here has got to be someone qualified. It's imperative that we understand that any confined space be treated as a permit-required confined space until the space has been determined to be free of hazards. We're going to talk about what a permit confined space is mm-hmm. in a little bit. But what do we, when we talk about hazards, you've got to look at uh, the physical characteristics, configuration, and location of the confined space. Where is it? You know, what makes it a confined space? Um, what kind of potential hazards either exist or could uh, potentially occur in there? For example, is it oxygen deficient? Does it have too much oxygen? You know, sometimes too much is a bad thing. Is it in a flammable or an explosive environment? Is it toxic? Is there some poisonous or gas down there that could affect you? Does it have uh, biological hazards? Um, typically, we think of anaerobic and aerobic bacteria can grow in confined spaces and capable of off-gassing and producing some, some really bad gases such as hydrogen, which is flammable, and methane. Um, carbon dioxide and displacing oxygen. So there are a number of things that can come out of that. Mechanical hazards or uh, pinch points or there are places in the space that could cause you issues. 
physical hazards, we often think of electrical, thermal, radiological, noise, the structure itself, does it create uh, issues for your sharp edges? And last but not least on that end, chemical hazards. That was a mouthful, but when you look at, <laughs> when you look at all right. these things, again, you're trying to identify the hazards before you go into it as best you can, and then what hazards could also creep up or come back into it. So you sure. always got to be aware of, of the situation, your surroundings, could they change? So as I mentioned, once you've got all these identified, then you start to have to look at the assessing these by the qualified person. So for example, what's the scope of your exposure? How many people are going to be down there or affected by this? What is their skill set or what, what type of people are going to be down there? Are they going to be maintenance folks? Are they going to mm-hmm. be electricians? You need to get some scope of how many folks, if you will, and what type of employees or workers will there be down there? Secondly, you need to look at the magnitude of the hazard. You know, um, for example, how much water could be released down into a pit? Mm-hmm. Um, how much energy could be down there? How toxic are the chemicals and maybe how much? Uh, you also need to look at the likelihood or probability of the hazard to occur. Is it more likely, less likely? Some of those are subjectives, but you need to make an assessment of uh, basically probability. Consequences. You know, what if? If, if, right. if this hazard does occur, what's, what could happen? A little creativity there, but it's, it's not as hard as you think. you got to step back. I mentioned a little earlier about the potential of changing conditions. The big one there is weather. You know, could, could, is it warmer? Is it colder? Is it going to rain? How does that affect the people working down there? And one of the things that um, often gets forgotten about is the use of uh, combustion engines. Hey, is somebody parked their vehicle near your work area, you know, pumping or forcing um, exhaust gases down into sure. the okay. area? Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got to use uh, a generator to, to supply power for the mm-hmm. tools you're down into the, uh, into the confined space. Strategies for controlling the hazards, you know, obviously the best tool is to use the hierarchy of controls. Hey, if you can eliminate it or remove the hazard, right. let's do that. Follow down, but last but not least is the use of personal protective equipment. And then um, this one, again, oftentimes gets overlooked, is what we call the impact on the need for emergency response. What if things don't go mm-hmm. the way you think they should? Because everything works well every time, right, right. all the time, right? So are the folks that you may need to call upon, do they know how to handle this mm-hmm. situation? It's a very good point. So really an awful lot of homework for for safety professionals leading up to the point where workers are entering the confined space. So uh, what are some of the best resources for safety professionals to consult with throughout that process? I mean, is it working with utility companies, looking at, you know, schematics of the space that they're working in? Like, what, what resources can safety professionals consult about a particular confined space to make sure they've got a good understanding of all the hazards present before workers enter the space? Well, that's a good question. I mean, take advantage of your resources available to you. Again, you don't want to, you don't want to be asking these questions while you're in the middle of right, something. Right, right. So stepping back and saying, okay, maybe um, what kind of past work has been done? Hey, has this work been done in the past? Do you have a past permit, for example? Has there been some sort of assessment done in the past that you can pull out? 
have you had a, hopefully you're doing what I would call like a, a pre-job assessment. Mm-hmm. You're gathering your folks together, involving other agencies. Like if you're going to need power company, water company to come, gas company to come help you uh, shut things mm-hmm. off. Are you, are you working with them to try to assess what could happen? Other professionals, certainly ANSI-Z117.1 provides a lot of that information to prepare yourself. I would like to think if you've never done this before, it's something new is to do a dry run. Do that, the what-ifs, and in a way you're taking what you did earlier about that assessment or that survey and sort of walking through it to get a sense. So, hey, the things that you don't know, let's assess those now before you Mm -hmm. are into that situation. Just a a few thoughts. There are a lot of other resources, and asking other folks or colleagues have been through this. Hey, can you help me out? Mm -hmm. Can you guide me through that? But first and foremost is we want to make sure we don't put anybody in harm's way in general, um, sort of an oxymoron here with confined space, in a, in a sense, is, but you're assessing those risks before people go into that, that uh, situation. Absolutely. That's a really good point, because as you said, if you've never done this before, you don't know what you don't know. So any knowledge, any other safety professionals, any resource can impart to you is going to benefit yourself and your workers in the long run. And the last point on that one, I think it's important. As, as In the safety profession, there's a number of tasks that we would call lifesavers, which mm-hmm. means they're safety critical. Right. Um, one oops, and you could end up with a significant injury and or a fatality. Confined spaces is one of those tasks or operations that fits into that category is, again, these are life critical, so you need to make sure we're doing everything up front and, and that you're planned, prepared to make sure you can execute it accordingly. Okay. Now, moving forward from there, the standard has sections dedicated to permit and non-permit required confined spaces. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but I thought we could spend some time talking about each of those, the differences between the two, and how to know when you need a permit. That's a good question. So, I'm going to step back just for uh, repetitiveness on this. We initially started the conversation by talking about what a confined space is, so I'll hit upon that again. It's a space large enough and configured such that an employee can enter into an area to do their work, has limited means of egress and in and out, mm-hmm. okay? It could be crawling into a tank, a vessel, silo, and it's not designed for human occupancy. That sort of sets this broad sense for a confined space. A subset, if you will, of a confined space is something that's what we would call a permit-required confined space. So a permit-required confined space has all the things that we talked about of a confined space, but it's got a few more added um, extras, if you will. Okay. So it has one or more of these additional characteristics. One contains or has a potential contain a hazardous atmosphere whether it be toxic, flammable, corrosive, contains a material that has the potential for engulfing an entrant. So somebody going in, could they be overwhelmed? Could be oxygen-rich, not oxygen-rich. Three, has an internal configuration such that the person entering could be trapped or asphyxiated by, um, for example, converging walls. I think of crawling into caves, if you Mm -hmm. will, you know, where it's big at the it starting down and tampers down, that could happen to, so that somebody could get stuck in there. Right. Um, or con- contains any other recognized serious safety or health hazard, which comes back to why we did that survey initially, is to make sure that we've addressed and looked at all of these things. Okay. Keep in mind, when we're looking at confined spaces, the cardinal rule is if you don't know, 
you treat every confined space as a permit required confined space. For entry into non-permit required spaces, essentially employers got to develop and implement safe work procedures. Not necessarily a permit per se, but the, the procedures and what conditions and precautions must be in place to allow the safe entry and what would constitute a change in conditions or reevaluation. So you're basically saying, hey, we're good to go mm-hmm. into this confined space. We've assessed things, but just going through with your workers, hey, what if, what do they need and how right. to respond to it? For confined spaces, the rules change significantly to the extent that now you need a permit. And you have to have a permit going for every confined space. The intent of the permit system, if you will, is to provide a systematic review of all the hazards, communicate this information to all those people involved in the confined space entry. And again, going back mm-hmm. to the standard itself, there's a lot of people engaged when you've got to go into a confined space from the entrance, the people going down in, the people watching, the entry supervisor. There's a lot of different moving parts here, so we need to make sure we're all on the same page before uh, we go into a confined space. Absolutely, and to your point, even if you don't need a permit, you have to have a plan for how you're going to keep everybody safe as they're entering, exiting, and working in the space. Absolutely. Like I said, coming back, you can't reinforce enough that if you're not sure define every space as a confined mm-hmm. space. It's a little overkill, but that way you're taking the high ground from right. the get-go. Right. Hey, there's no question. There can't be any ambiguity. I didn't mm-hmm. know. Hey, and, and um, a lot of uh, institutions, a lot of companies do do that. They treat everything as a confined space and then market, label it, and train accordingly. Now, the standard goes into some detail about both PPE and auxiliary equipment for working in a confined space. And now, I know it can depend on the type of space you're working in, but in general terms, what are the essential pieces of equipment workers need in a confined space? So I'll preface this by saying you need to address each situation unto its own. It has its own merit. So that's my my, my, my disclaimer, if you will, my (laughs) preface to this. But in general terms, the essential personal protective equipment and auxiliary equipment can include respiratory protection, whether that's... uh, uh, an air purifying respirator, whether that's a, a self-contained breathing apparatus, supplied air respirator line, um, protective suits, uh, head protection, bump cap, helmet, eye and face protection, obviously, hand protection. It mm-hmm. runs the gamut of, do I just need, uh, say, nitro gloves? Do I need a chemical gloves? What, where am I going? Do I need dexterity? Foot protection, generally speaking, boots and or um, steel-toed protection. Fall protection is a big one in mm-hmm. these days of entry in. Hey, are you? do you have the harnesses? Do you have the lanyards? Do you have the, the tripod for rescue? And oftentimes we talk about intrinsically safe equipment. So, you know, you've, you've got all your PPE. You've done your survey. Now you also got to think about the tools you're going down into. Do you need, are you going to an area that possibly has a flammable atmosphere? Do you have an intrinsically safe or explosion uh, proof related or rated equipment to be able to do your work? I'm sure there's some other components to this, but that sort of sets the tone mm-hmm. uh, for, for some of the stuff you may need. And that's your, in a confined space permit, all those things will be on the permit that mm-hmm. you need to evaluate right. and check off to make sure you've got them. Um, you're, you're, you've trained, 
you're qualified, you're able to do all this. There's a lot of moving parts in this. It's just not, mm-hmm. hey, we're going down into a space and we're going to do our job and get out. You need to make sure that all these other components of an effective safety and health program are in place to begin with. Now you add on top of that the requirements of a, of a confined space program. Absolutely. It all goes back to that pre-planning and the hazards you've identified and the equipment that you need to help protect your workers against those specific hazards. Yes, sir. Okay, now, unfortunately, there are those situations where things do go wrong in a confined space, and the standard includes requirements for emergency response, evacuation, and rescue. So with that in mind, what needs to happen in a situation where someone needs to be rescued from a confined space? That's an excellent point. So we all know things sometimes can go wrong even when you think you've got everything addressed. Okay, plan ahead, be prepared for what-if situations could happen and then practice the response actions. You know, a lot of times in, 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 in the environment or work is, yeah, I know I'm trained, I know how to do that, but we haven't practiced it. Mm-hmm. You know, you never want to um, have to deal with situations like this and never have practiced it. It's, it's never a good idea. So additionally, we need to be vigilant and constantly assess our confined spaces, particularly the permit-required confined space to quickly respond to changes in the work environment. So it's, it's being prepared, not just today, you know, making sure people are trained, qualified, your emergency plan is up to date, but also doing some of the other requirements that says you need to periodically, I think it's annually, look at your permit required confined spaces mm-hmm. to see if something has changed. Okay. Remember, we've done those surveys, and hopefully you know in advance what the risks are. Right, Hey, has something right. changed? From my perspective, I believe planning ahead requires us to look at both what normal operations and non-routine operations look like. Uh, this is where your emergency response plan comes into play. And C-117.1 talks about the written plan. It basically addresses responses to identified or potential emergencies. It also addresses the timely evacuation, retrieval, or rescue entrance into a confined space, which, which is critical. From that perspective, you need to have either on staff or on your site trained and equipped rescue teams or have a service, uh, contracted service to do that. I would not categorically rely on your local fire department's mm-hmm to do confined space rescue. Work with the local authorities and and have our emergency response team where I work. And again, they will try to respond, but they may not be the best folks to respond to that situation. So I would strongly encourage, again, that you have your own team prepared and on site or have a rescue team available. to go beyond that, that's just not calling them up on the phone and saying, hey, we're going into a, a space today. You got us covered. They should be able to come out to your site and have some pre-planning or some periodic looking at your site to see what kind of spaces you have and that they can adequately respond to an emergency should should one exist. Okay, great. Yeah, I think those are all really, really important points to keep in mind. Any, uh, any final thoughts you'd like our listeners to know about Z117 and confined space safety? Well, I hope we were able to provide you with the information to support your confined space safety program. ANSI Z117.1 standard provides a complete tool to help you assess, develop, and implement an effective safety program. 
Okay, great. Thank you very much again for coming on, Terry. I know that this is a major issue in occupational safety and health, and I hope our listeners take this information to help keep workers safe in confined spaces. So thank you again. Well, thanks again, Scott, for allowing me to to share in this Confined Space podcast. And if there's one thing I could leave you with is just do your homework, plan ahead, take the time to make sure you've you've got everything in place before you try to implement or go into a confined space. That's a great point. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the ASSB Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.